There's a wind that's blowing out in Bespin. It sweeps throughout the Jakusan. Can you feel it? It's playing like a 40-member cantina band. Can you hear it? It shines like a floating Nabu fruit. In your hand, can you feel it? I can feel it. It's the sound of a nation eroding, and the sound of a Death Star exploding. It's the sound of Star Wars, or more specifically, our musical about Star Wars. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, July 18th, 2021. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. I almost said good morning. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Isn't it morning? I think it is. Yeah. It is, but it was a long night. Did you guys get that storm? Yes. That was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Quite no the storm. Question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Quite the storm. Also with us is Michael Fortantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. So with us, we have two, not one, but two very special (laughs) guests. Tom and Michael Dangora are with us. These are two gentlemen who you have seen their work over the last 18 plus months at least. And we'll get into further beyond that because these are two geniuses that have just put together so many different Uh, projects in support of the Broadway community over the pandemic season and our uh, producers and uh, multi-talented, multi-hyphenated people in their own right. So Tom and Michael, thank you so much for getting up on a Sunday morning and talking with us on Broadway Radio. Happy to be here. Thank you. We're going to immediately put quote, two geniuses, Broadway Radio on our, on our website. Immediately following this. It's the first time we'll be pull quoted. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so to uh, sort out any confusion here, let's say, uh, have Tom say hello first. Hi, I'm Tom. How are you? Thank you so much for having us. And just to clear it up, uh, we are married. We are not brothers. Right. Shocked how often people will say, well, I was talking to your brother, and I said, well, if he's my brother. We're breaking laws in several states. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone knows we're, we're, we're a married couple who took the same name. And, uh, <laughs> and now, Michael, uh, with that, did I? Yes, yes. And, and somehow... Uh, we're a married couple who works together and somehow did not murder one another during the pandemic. That was one of the first questions I was going to ask is, is, you know, couples that work together, uh, you know, it sometimes can be awesome and sometimes can be a, a nightmare. So how did the two of you end up uh, pooling your resources on the same projects? Well, I mean, uh, we were sitting here with not, not a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, we've been working together the whole, our, our entire relationship for 19 years. We've, um, we've been 
partnering on everything. And, you know, I, I think uh, somehow we, we don't divorce over it, but uh, we kind of make up each other's strengths and weaknesses, even though we fight 24 seven about everything, even things we agree on, we fight about in front of people. I mean, ask Andre DeShields, ask people, we will get into <laughs> full out creative fist fights yeah, in mean, front of people. But it can turn into who's afraid of Virginia Woolf in our apartment <laughs> or on set. Um, but uh, so um, we've been, you know, we've been doing it forever. And it just, uh, when you have two people that have worked together for 20 years stuck in quarantine, you know, there's only so many movies you can watch. We went through the entire Sally Field catalog at the beginning of the pandemic, mm. which I recommend doing if anyone hasn't. Mm. Is it? And, you know, after revisiting a million movies and whatnot, you just start spinning and saying, what can we do? What can we do? Maybe this would be a good time to uh, to run through your projects before uh, these online fabulous online fundraisers that you put together. I know certainly you had uh, musical and and Naked Boys singing. Yes, yes. Um, we also had the marvelous Wonderettes. Right, and uh, uh, we had a f- super fun show called a musical about Star Wars that ran almost yeah. exactly yeah. a year before the pandemic and was running. During the uh, during the shutdown, I um, love that show so much. I, I hope to see it again. Thank it, you. It was so so sweet and so, so funny. Day, right? yeah. yeah, and <laughs> Billy Reese is definitely somebody who's going to be very important in musical theater in the twenty first century. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he really has That's a great a full quote season. for Billy. I, I'm texting him right now. <laughs> fine, fine. He's not going to be surprised to hear me say that. But uh, <laughs> but all right, you know, here you are. Basically, you're volunteering, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we've been, well, I mean, someone needed to step in and, and do this. But yes, it is on a voluntary basis. Um, we didn't realize until this year, apparently it is an industry that people charge a fortune for, but right off the bat, you know, we decided after West Bank, when our phone was ringing off the hook and so many establishments and venues and organizations were asking us, to recreate the magic of what happened with the West Bank Cafe, uh, we decided with our producing partner Tim Guinea that we weren't we would we would not feel right charging. Um, we just didn't think it was right to ask the caliber of talent we were working with to volunteer their times, ask our community who were unemployed during a pandemic and struggling to give us their hard-earned money that you know without a job. So we decided we would take we would absolutely do it on a 100% uh, volunteer basis and with the exception of very minimal expenses like you know third camera rentals and little bits here tiny things i would say 99.9% of every penny raised went to exactly what we were raising it for so we're really proud of that let's uh, step well, um, back for I a have- second um, let's step back for a second and and uh, and put some uh, some context context around what you're saying there. Uh, your producing work for commercial theater is is not on a volunteer basis. Oh, <laughs> the no the uh, what we're talking about are uh, you say fourth iconic theater institutions since December the West Bank Cafe which is, includes the Lori Beachman Theater Birdland Jazz Club the York yeah. Theater and the Labyrinth Theater Company. You you uh, started out with this amazing. Uh, 
uh, fundraiser at the West Bank Cafe. And since then, you've raised $1.3 million uh, through your GoFundMe account for these uh, for these institutions, which all of us uh, in the New York theater community, uh, you know, uh, if they were to go away, would leave such a hole in our hearts. So yes. uh, talk about how the West Bank Cafe, that was, that was the first one, correct? Yes. So talk about how the West Bank Cafe idea came to be and what happened there and, and how did this uh, freight train that ran down a side of a mountain uh, uh, get under control? I mean, it started so genuinely. It really, really did. I was at the chiropractor, wouldn't you know? (laughs) (laughs) And um, I was about to get adjusted. And my (laughs) upstairs neighbor, Marie, texted me and said, "Um, I just got takeout. And Janet, who is Steve Olson's wife, um, said they're going to close on the 27th. You You have to do something. And, and then just to say, and like most people in the theater community, I mean, West Bank Cafe and Delory Beachman is like a second home for us. Yep. We, live, we live across mm-hmm. the street. We've had so many opening night parties for musical at, at West Bank. Uh, they've taken such good care of us. And so Our wedding our rehearsal community. dinner was there. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so anyway, it's non sequitur, but um, uh, so she said, you know, Tom, you have to do something. And, and I, so I took the, I told the chiropractor, get your hands off me. I have to go to the West Bank. <laughs> and um, so I came home, I told Michael, we grabbed the dogs for a walk. So it didn't look like we were accosting poor Steve. Mm-hmm. And we stopped by West Bank um, and said, Hey, what's going on? Um, I hear things are dire. And he said, no, it's worse than dire. We're closing. And I said, well, you know, that can't happen. And he said, well, we've been trying to figure out something for months. It's just, we're at our wit's end. You know, we need over a quarter of a million dollars now if we're going to stay open. And this was about 15 days before Christmas. I think it was around December 10th or December 11th. And we said, well, we'll you know, we'll figure it out. Um, let me get you in touch with my friends who are elected officials to see what the, go- you know, what the government can do, this, this, this. And let's figure out a show we can do and a fundraiser. Well, it, was, it wasn't even that. It was just like, how, how can we raise money, this much money, this quickly? And I grew up on the cartoon Gem and the Holograms which every week there was a problem and they, they were a rock group and they solved it by putting on a benefit concert. Mm-hmm. And I literally was just like, Oh, let's put on a concert. That's, that's like, right, let's figure do. it let's, out. Let's, let's figure out a way to get the community together. And you know, and he's well, sure. You know, if you could, that would be amazing, but you know, there's no time and whatnot. And then right as this was all happening, a gentleman who was picking up a to-go order of chicken enchiladas because he was filming a Netflix program in the city who had also been a longtime loyal customer of the West Bank, the amazing Tim Guinea, was eavesdropping and said, I heard everything you said. You're right. We can do it. I want in. And so we exchanged phone numbers. Um, We went to Target to pick up some uh, low-priced groceries. And in Target, Michael said, what about a Christmas Day telethon? And I Mm -hmm. said, Christmas is in 11 days. How can we put a telethon together in 11 days? And I, and I said, well, we do off-Broadway. I mean, we, we're, we're used to, to ridiculous uh, time, frames. time frames. And this year, uh, 2020 especially, no one was seeing their family. Everyone was going to be home alone. Everyone was mm. going to be lonely on, on Christmas. So I was like, maybe we can give them something that feels like community and, and, and make the day special. And so, um, you know... We had 11 days to put it together. Oh, and actually, right when we got out of Target then, Tim Guinea called yes. and was like, I spoke to my we, agent. and We only have an hour to give every beat of every 
fundraiser. It'll be 20,000. <laughs> so the, the short of it is, um, you know, in 11 days, somehow, uh, we put our nose to the grind. Joe Iconis jumped in for this one, and he was amazing. Mm. And the four of us uh, raised, I think it was 330000 And we did a 10-and-a-half-hour Christmas Day telethon with over, uh, th- I think it was over 300 something like uh, literally all of us just called every person every entertainer we had ever met and every entertainer who had ever stepped foot in the west bank cafe to see if they would contribute everyone said yes everyone i call i blind emailed nathan lane um i i was i was you know you keep track of the gofundme um donations and nathan lane gave us a very generous donation and you know you can message people to say thank you so i just I just said, you know, what do I have to lose? It's a pandemic. We're doing this out of the goodness of our heart, you know, and we had a saying in our little organization about raising money and asking people to do it. That's shy people starve. So just ask. (laughs) Uh, So I I blind emailed Nathan Lane through GoFundMe and said, hi, Nathan, you know, my name is Tom. I'm first off, I'm such a huge fan of yours. I want to start by thanking you. You know, when you became a star in the 90s, I went from the weird gay boy to a Nathan Lane type in high school theater. And that was very life changing. Um, And, you know, we're doing this for the West Bank, blah, blah, blah. And he couldn't have been nicer. He emailed me back in five minutes saying, wow, thank you for those kind words. That's so touching. Of course, what do you need from me? I'll do anything. And, and that, and that became the norm from, you know, Deborah Messing, Sean Penn. um, Bobby Cannavale. Yeah. It was just unbelievable. And then, I got the message that Andre DeShields wanted to speak to me. And uh, <laughs> the gr- I've never been, so, I mean, you know, I've had to call everyone in the world at one point and calling Andre DeShields, I was just flipping out because I've lived in the neighborhood for 20 years and you see Andre in the food emporium and I used to hide and go, oh my God, the Wiz is shopping. <laughs> there's a lot of famous people, but there's very few magical people. And I mean, and Andre, he's just Andre DeShields, the most magical. he's the epitome of magic. And he's he, the Wiz. Yeah, he is. The Wiz. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and I called it, I was like, um, Mr. DeShields, my name is Tom Dangora. I'm, and he said, you don't have to tell me who you are. Everybody knows who you are now. <laughs> very good imitation. Yes. Very good yes. imitation. No, it, was, was so no, it, it was just great. And I, and he, I said, so, you know, um, and he said, so I'm going to tell you what I want you to, what I want to do. And I said, you can do anything. And he went, well, I'm going to tell you what I want to do. <laughs> You're not trying to save my studio apartment. My studio apartment will be here next year. I would like to be filmed at the West Bank Cafe. Um, <laughs> I said, oh, my God, we're going to film Andre DeShields which now we've done so many times. Including, um, of course, the Theater World Awards last week. And boy, what a tremendous job you guys did with that. I was flabbergasted at how tremendously it had turned out. All these clips that you got, um, isn't that hard to get all those clips? Um, it's, well, I don't know. I, it's exhausting. Um, yeah, one yeah of all right. <laughs> that what? isn't so far from hard, exhausting. You know um, what I mean? Yeah, it's exhausting. You know, you just really have to decide it's a full-time job. And you have to treat it. The, the reason they were so successful is we treated them as if we were producing a Broadway show. We gave it the 100% commitment as if it was, you know, everything was on the line. Because it was. There, people's life's work were on the line. And I think because we've done so much independent off-Broadway, all those years where if a miracle didn't happen, it would have been musicals last week. I think 
when you do small theater, you know what it feels like to be on the verge of losing everything. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, and it's just so I just kind of we just empathize so deeply and with all of them. And well, the, you I, also you also learn very quickly doing these small off Broadway shows, like oh, I have to create Broadway magic with a penny, with, no mu- with yes. a nickel. What do we have lying around that can we can transform into this? How can we make this look like a million bucks when we really only have a dollar? And so those kind of two two things very much came into play. And you learn by the York when we did the fundraiser for the York, which uh, was that was the hardest because we did an actual <laughs> yeah. musical, and it was thirty two actors who were never in the same room together on green screen. And it was so it was and we were doing book scenes when book we scenes. hadn't even finished casting it yet. And yeah, we didn't know who the person was going to be opposite because we were on a, a three and a half week time crunch to put it together. And in between acts, we were doing the telethon thing where Deborah Messing was giving a plea for money and Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton and whatnot. And that's what you le- and that's what we learned very quickly after Birdland. Once uh, President Bill Clinton agreed to open the Birdland show is you learn once you get a huge anchor, mm-hmm, everything mm-hmm. falls into place. So early on in the York, when, um, you know, in the first week, first 10 days is always very difficult and very frustrating. Nobody wants to be the first to say yes. Um, and so early on in the York, I emailed Hillary Clinton's team. I worked on both of her campaigns. So I'm, you know, able to get it right to the top person. Just saying, is there any way, you know, Secretary Clinton would consider doing this? I think it would be so helpful. You know, we had Bill do Birdland as the world's most famous jazz fan. Now I need to ask for the world's most famous theater fan. And within seven minutes, um, I got an email back saying, anything you need, she's in. Because that's the kind of person Hillary Clinton is. And then, mm. and then everyone, <laughs> when I called you know, uh, Judy Katz, you think Bernadette would want to do this? What do you mean think? You got Hillary Clinton. Um, that, that was the, why are you being humble with us? You got Hillary Clinton, you know. First money in. That's always yeah, the, yeah. Uh, it just, it, And that's what you learn, you know. And then when we, and um, we kind of took a sidetrack from the venues to help uh, the Stonewall Inn Gives Back initiative, which is Stonewall Inn's official not for profit, which was uh, which was suffering because of the pandemic. And what they do is they raise money for safe spaces in ge- uh, geographical locations that are lacking in LGBTQ protections. You know. The red such state. as in the red uh, states, okay. Yeah, right. especially, mm-hmm. and we raise we raise money for safe spaces in the six states that had the worst anti-trans legislation coming up. You know, uh, so we were really focusing on the on the youth and making sure that money was there to protect them, that there was a place for them to go with all of this hate coming at them, and um, and that was an incredible. We had everyone from Nancy Pelosi to Demi Lovato. So safe spaces exactly means what? So like, you know, like, uh, sh- uh, like um, community centers, uh-huh. like we have the LGBT center here. Mm-hmm. Um, also they, they provide local businesses with training and how to make, you know, any restaurant, any place a safe space. But we were, we were also funding organizations and uh, community centers and LGBT centers and youth centers but there's an actual physical place to go. And in some of these places like uh, Tennessee, Alabama, it's the only place the younger kids can actually be free mm-hmm. and be themselves. 
these fundraisers that you do, I, I've heard them uh, called webathons. Is that your word for it? Uh, no, we've never used that. We're a little more old fashioned. We always call them telethons. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. We do call it telethon. Yeah. I never even, <laughs> up until this moment, I don't think we even ever thought of a webathon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just call it a show. Yeah. A show. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently so. No. Um, now, the York Theater you mentioned, uh, was that because of the flood? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were doing, you know, if you know Jim Morgan, you know he is uh, pragmatic and frugal. So he was doing a good job. I mean, they were as financially responsible managing as Managing this. Be, I, yeah. yeah, you've never seen anything like it. They were really doing all the right things, making all the right sacrifices. And just when it looked like they were going to survive the pandemic without needing assistance, you know, someone said not so fast and opened mm. a water main, mm. destroyed oh. everything. Um, and we have, you know, long-term ties with them, Michael. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was one of the first, I was my first internship in the city. And so, you know, I've been here 20 years and for 20 years, New York has, you know, been, been a, a stomping ground. And yeah, they've us. always been amazing. And so to lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And how did you get interested in Broadway in the first place? Where are you from? Well, we're homosexuals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you do. I, I mean, like so many kids, I mean, I just popped out of the womb and was like, I'm ready to put on a show and was literally putting on very elaborate plays in my backyard by the time I was five. And, and your backyard was where? Oh, Lincoln. I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I'm from Cape Cod. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. We were um, community theater in our respective homes and... You yeah. know, and it was just one of those things where I think for both of us, there was never a question of where we're supposed to be or what we're supposed to do. Yeah. And then our first show we did here together in New York was a thousand years ago in uh, 2003. What I had a one man show um, that Michael directed and we co-wrote and co-produced and I starred in and it ended up being this ridiculous hit. We made a fortune on it. I mean, a fortune. I don't think we've ever made more money on anything since. Um, and it was called? Divas I've done. It wasn't a drag show, but it was about my slightly unhealthy obsession with B-list, C-list stars, you know, how I, um, I love, you know, how the young gays love the standbys and the, um, maybe the not biggest stars, but it was just this kind of poking fun at myself. And, and it was somewhere between like a cabaret and a, and a one man show. And we, it was doing really well. So we just kind of continued it and we moved, uh, someone it started at Don't Tell Mama. Someone wanted to bring it to LA and, it's kind of what we, neither of us really wanted uh, ever set out to produce, but it's what taught us to produce. Cause all of a sudden we had this show that was doing well and we wanted to continue it. And so we started budgeting and, and figuring out ticketing and, and advertising. And next thing you know, we're producers. Yeah. And I mean, and you don't, who I, we thought it was going to run two nights at don't tell mama. Uh, it played every week for a year. Don't tell mama sold out. Then it went to LA and had a sold out run in West Hollywood and then when we came back here, we closed the upstairs at Studio 54 Theater, uh-huh. that was 199 seats. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I sold out uh, eight weekends there. And then um, it moved to Theater Row, to the Kirk Theater, where, and that's where my relationship with Theater Row began. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up taking over that theater for 10 years for musical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But who has, I mean, it was just a two-year hit with what, what was supposed to be a two-night thing for my friends. Lincoln, Nebraska um, certainly hosted the International Thespian Festival for a number of years. And uh, were you involved with that? Um, I, well, being from Lincoln, Nebraska, and I, just being that those weird theater kids, me and my friends actually never, 
legally went to the thespian convention, but every year we would um, make it our mission to somehow sneak into events. And Mm -hmm. we like, we, every year we had like different weird goals. Like we have to go to the dance. We have to skip, uh, get into these classes and seminars. And we would like, we'd make fake IDs and I don't, it was just us being creative and stupid, but every year, like we had a theme one year, all of our name tags, we were all characters from, from Footloose (laughs) (laughs) from Beaumont. And um, yeah. And we would just, you know, try and sneak in and until we would get into trouble, which we never did. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm very familiar with it. Although I never was uh, there legally. I was just there as a, as an outlaw, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> wonderful <laughs> who's, who's been really nice to you in terms of um yeah hillary clinton i get it um that's fine but uh, tell us other people who have really been tremendously nice to you uh, Andre during Welts has been it's unbelievable mm-hmm. uh unbelievable the how he goes above and beyond but i mean t- honestly most people have been just really gracious. It, it's been a, a very pinch me thing because I mean, at the end of the day, we're we're, we're all theater kids, you know. You never kind of lose that wonderlust when you look at these stars. Um, but um, Audra has been wonderful, so sweet. Lilius White. Lilius White has been the for, for the York show. If you saw, she had the. I mean, she was there for hours filming. And we had the most us. fun, and then we got to go have martinis at Shea Josephine with Lilius White, who, <laughs> in the 90s in high school, we, you know, when we learned to drive, we were blasting the life in our car, pretending mm-hmm. we were Lilius White. Mm-hmm. Uh, Captain mm-hmm. Hoffman's been awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Ethan Slater. Amazing. Uh, has been great. Wesley Margarita was awesome to work with. I mean, but literally... It's everyone. everyone. And even the people we didn't meet, you know, Deborah Messing did five of them. Martha Plimpton did a handful. Yeah, it, um... It's uh, Mercedes rule always, would jump always in. jumps in. Mandy Patinkin was so great. Everyone was so just incredibly great. It, it just, it was one of those things where you just, I've never been prouder to be a part of a community because from, you know, from the very top, you have uh, Bernadette Peters. Oh, Cheetah has been a doll. Oh my God. I have a mm-hmm. message saved on my phone from Cheetah Rivera. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the craziest thing in the world to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you think we have, you know, everyone from the top of Broadway to everyone from cabaret, jazz. We've worked with all these people, the politicians. And um, what blows my mind is at every level of our community, it was just that when they heard one of our, one of our own was in trouble, everyone pitched in to fix it. And that's what's so crazy when you think about we had over, we did six shows with over 600 really big names, really big names. Um, and we raised $1.3 million, but with 10, over 10,000 donors, it just shows that everyone took a little initiative and everyone stepped up. And that's what was so incredible about it all. And it really changed our mindset in the pandemic. It just took us out of that slump and really showed us the positivity of it all and just what an incredible community we're part of. And it, it really humbles you to just be a part of this, even if it's a small part or, and cause it, it, this proved there isn't a small part. I was just going to say that. Nathan yeah. Lane was down there with his, getting his hands dirty the same way, you know, a fabulous cabaret singer who sings Saturday, who sings a Saturday night at West bank, you know, it's just an amazing, it's been an amazing thing. And yeah, it's just wild to me. 
So let's uh, flash forward into what's coming up for you guys. You are both working on Carolina Change. Yeah, we're. I mean, we're co-producers. You know, we're not roundabout, but (laughs) (laughs) a little bit nervous getting your hands dirty off Broadway and doing these telethons where you're up till four in the morning editing videos and whatnot. This is a little more. uh, We get email updates. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) but it was our favorite show. Um, We. It was one of the last. One of the last shows we stalked, I would say. Like when we were still uh, young enough to want to go see a show nine million times in a row and stage door every performance and go see all the understudies. And it was one of our last ones that we did. Genuinely obsessed with it. Obsessed with it. Obsessed. Obsessed with it. So (laughs) we had to, you know, when when they decided to bring the London show here, so, well, we have to be a part of it somehow. We just love it so much. Well, that's that's really wonderful. So, uh, what do you have planned uh, coming up for you uh, beyond this? Um, we, we have a few announcements that we can't talk yes. about. Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but uh, we're doing Naked Boy singing in Provincetown for two nights in August. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the twentieth anniversary of the first Provincetown production, which I was actually in before I started producing and directing it. Um, and we're doing that as a fundraiser for the for the town because they were hit so hard last year oh i'm gonna be there what dates are they august 10th and august 11th and 12th oh i'll miss it but that sounds great dream cast it's just it's we we put together just our favorites of the last decade is alex ringler gonna be in it yes of course (laughs) that's great (laughs) yes he is he he's been uh i think he might have been the very first naked boy we ever cast yeah he was in 07 yeah. He walked into the room uh, in the very first wave of the first open call we ever did for it uh, when we started producing it in 2007. And he left the room and we said, he'll never do it. He's no one that good looking and that talented is ever, <laughs> ever going to say yes to non-equity naked boy singing in Provincetown. And sure enough, he stayed with us forever. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> and eventually we had to start getting like equity contracts for him. And yeah, stuff. he was our first guest because con- uh, he came back for the 10th anniversary. Um, literally a month after Westside closed on Broadway, I said, do you want to come to P-Town for the 10th anniversary? Uh, you know, um, and we were, and so we got, uh, we made it an equity, uh, half equity show. So just so Alex could come back. Fabulous. So, uh, actually, last uh, Sunday, you had the Theater World Awards special event on BroadwayWorld.com, which was the celebration of 75 years of the Theater World Awards. Um, And and you guys uh, briefly touched on it a few minutes ago, but uh, how did you get involved with this? And uh, and tell the listeners um, what the result of last weekend's um, uh, special event was. Um, well, uh, Dale Badway, who's the president of the Theater World Awards, called me. Um, I've known him for years and said, what do you think? And I said, what do I think? It's the Theater World Awards. Are you kidding me? We'd be, we'd be honored. This is crazy, of course. And um, we started talking through what it could look like. Um, we were so excited that special awards would be given out because I think that gave a real uniqueness to it. You know, um, and especially who the awards were for were just so thrilling. And one of them being Andre DeShields. Oh, my <laughs> God. I got to call and tell him. <laughs> oh, great. Well, because he was in, you know, Andre is very method, and he was in the zone for King Lear. And is, okay, I'm going to bite the bullet. I might be breaking his process, but I'm going to call him. Um, but he was thrilled, of course. And um, 
Yes. So we, um, it was, this was a very, uh, instead of emailing every performer saying, you know, could you just send us anything you got? We were very specific. It was, you know, Marissa Jarrett Winokur. Can well, you the, do Good Morning Baltimore? For the listeners who don't know, the Theater World Awards celebrates debut performances. Uh, obviously, in the last year, there weren't any debut performances, so we thought, well, we better do the celebrate kind of some of the best of the best of them. Yeah, and um, we had some great performances. So many people came back to either um, give testimonials, tell stories, participate in any way, and a lot. And what was so great is so many sang from their big debut. Um, Adam Pascal did one song, Glory. Christy Altamere did um, Journey to the Past. Ethan Slater did SpongeBob. Um, Philip Boykin uh, broke uh, from Porgy and Bess and chose to sing Summertime. <laughs> and it was a show stealer. Um, so yeah, and it, it was just a really lovely event. And it was just one of those things where um, you just saw how much it meant to everyone. And um, we haven't hit the fundraising goal yet. We're still fundraising. And that's what's great about um, the the GoFundMe aspect of it all is it, it can be ongoing. And um, the shows were never about hitting the fundraiser goal. The shows were about honoring what we were fundraising and thanking the people who were donating. That's why there was never a ticketed price. Because in a pandemic, first and foremost, this was always about community and always about what we were fundraising for and their relationship with the community. And that's why we understand if you're an out of work actor or out of work, whatever, right now you can't afford it, share the link and please join us without a ticket price. And um, so we're still fundraising um, and you can still watch it on broadwayworld.com. And uh, we hope to raise more. And that money is going to go to continuing this wonderful tradition because um, the yearly awards when they're live are actually um, free to the community, right? They're, they're, yes, they are. Charge. And I think that's such an exquisite thing and something that really needs to continue and something very much worth fundraising for. And it's a 501c3. So it is a tax deductible uh, donation, which is awesome. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> hopefully we'll all be getting a ton of uh, work in the, fall and performers will need tax deductions next year mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and mm-hmm. those things like we said earlier you know i think ten thousand some people have donated to these causes over the year or over the last few months and it's not like we're asking for you know people to, to donate a hundred dollars but they donate. can they certainly are welcome to but even if you can only give one dollar if you can get five dollars it makes it adds up so quickly and makes mm-hmm. You think you're only a, a drop in the bucket, but it it adds up so so quickly. Well, ten thousand drops fill a bucket. They they sure. certainly do. So you know every penny really genuinely counts. So yes, the GoFundMe is still live, and um, we encourage people if they're listening uh, to you know if they have a dollar, please give it. It would be very or a hundred, whatever you have. That's great. <laughs> it's great. We understand. But that was I mean I, and I'm so it's made me so excited for next I want I'm dying to see the live show next year. I'm just I'm in now. That's I'm Italian <laughs> so once I, I warned Dale, you know, you know, once I'm in the family you're never getting rid of me. Uh-huh, good. <laughs> good. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yeah. I um I have my opening line raring to go for next year. Yay! Um, <laughs> I won't be surprised if the Tonys um think of the same thing, but we'll see what happens. But you'll be first. 
Maybe. <laughs> maybe yes, because maybe. the Tonys, after all, are coming up soon. They may oh, use right. the same. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> right. But, uh, but anyway, I know exactly how I'm going to start, unless they do it first. So we shall see. We shall see. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, uh, Michael and Tom Dangora, thank you so much, not only for joining us on Broadway Radio, but for all the work that you have done to save these institutions and bring so much theater and happiness to so many people uh, worldwide in the, in the Broadway community. We really appreciate you getting up on a Sunday morning and talking with us. Oh, yay. Thank you we for having us. And the music of our musical about Star Wars that I wrote on my Casio. If there's time, we'll discuss Captain EO. First and foremost, this is Star Wars. And as the poster says, I'm So, I have to tell you guys uh, some milestone news in, in my life. Yay. Oh. Mm-hmm. My, my, my daughter, Charlotte, she's 13. And uh, tomorrow, she heads off to French Woods. Oh, good. The, How uh, nice. Is she going to perform? arts camp. Uh, she doesn't know. She's uh-huh. just going to probably, this is her first year at Frenchwood, so uh, she's going to probably lurk for the first year. Mm-hmm. She and figure out what her path is. And, and it may or may not be performance. Sure. You know, sure. But, uh, but she wanted to, we wanted to do something for her be- this this summer because it was just uh, an mm-hmm. entire year of staying home and sure, doing nothing. sure. sure. So, uh, and the Frenchwoods thing, I've just heard so many great things about it from, uh, from listeners and performers and all sorts of people in the Broadway community that we looked into it and, uh, she heads off tomorrow. So, Ah. uh, so that'll be uh, a fun thing. If you are a listener and you've attended Frenchwoods and have words of wisdom for a nervous parent, (laughs) (laughs) reach out to me. So I thought that uh, heading to Frenchwood, she might be living a charmed life, wouldn't she, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what James is referring to is uh, Charmed Life, a show at Urban Stages, subtitled From Soul Singing to Opera Star. And it's Laurie Brown Mirable. In case you don't know who that is, um, she is somebody who indeed started off as a soul singer, but then segued into opera and Broadway, I'm happy to say. And as a result, in this uh, 70-minute program, you're going to hear um, a lot of uh, songs from Broadway, uh, Summertime, Pearly, a nice choice. Um, Mm. It's a song that she said she auditioned with a great deal. So that was nice. Uh, A lot of um, uh, opera, too, of course. Um, A a very nice medley from Carmen, which uh, or for those of us who are Broadway-centric, Carmen Jones. Um, And um, she's really terrific. It's funny that she says she's led a charmed life because she's charming and um that it's so wonderful what a smile i'm telling you yeah she just mesmerizes you with that smile and she really knows her way around a stage and with a piano accompaniment she really has a nice um rapport with her pianist and so it really is quite a nice 70 minutes and um i really enjoyed hearing her sing songs that we don't hear very often like friendly star from the um judy garland movie summer stock you know which um is really quite terrific and uh i really recommend it um she even dares to do over the rainbow um and uh, and she uh, ties that in with a song from the whiz so uh and they they dovetail nicely very nicely indeed but um if you've never seen um laurie uh, brown mirabel who uh, was in uh, the uh 
94, 95 revival of Showboat on Broadway, uh, it's time to become acquainted with her. She's really quite nice. All right. So that's uh, Charmed Life at Urban Stages, and that's uh, running through August 1st. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Michael, you got over to 54 Below to see Christine Petty and her... uh, was it an homage to Chicago the Musical? Or was yes, it yes, in such a creative way. I, I went with our mutual friend Kevin McInerney, and we both agreed that honestly, it was one of the best cabaret shows we've seen in our entire lives in terms of both the performance and the concept and the construction. Uh, What she did is the, um, this was to have been uh, a part of that series that was announced and then completely canceled where the AMC uh, theater on 42nd street was going to do have a, a, I believe it was called a Broadway live cinema festival. And they were going to, screen movies and then have live performances afterwards. And uh, one of the movies they were going to screen was Chicago. And Christine um, had planned to do a show, a one woman show uh, after a screening of Chicago. Uh, But then that was all canceled. So quickly uh, Christine rescheduled it at 54 below at Feinstein's 54 below. Uh, And that's where she did it. And the 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 gimmick here is that um uh, she her her jumping off point was the first line of chicago which is ladies and gentlemen you are about to see a story of murder greed corruption <laughs> violence exploitation adultery and treachery all the things we hold dear near and dear to our hearts um so so for each of those things uh murder greed etc she picked a song from a musical but none of them from chicago hmm. um she sang for example uh for various ones ones of these uh these things that I just mentioned. She sang To Keep My Love Alive, the Rodgers and Hart song from Connecticut mm-hmm. Yankee. Um, she sang Maxwell Silver Hammer, <laughs> the Beatles song, <laughs> Little Tin Box from Fiorello. Uh, it had to be you. Um, and then she saved, uh, she didn't sing a note from Chicago until the mega medley at the end uh-huh. where she touched on at one point or another there almost every song from the show uh but while imitating famous famous people singing them from judy garland to liza minnelli share judge judy julie andrews <laughs> kate hepburn eartha kitt and her incredible impression of angela lansbury mm-hmm. and her uh, her cohort for all this was the great matthew martin ward at the piano and it was really just so incredible uh she does hope to do it elsewhere uh and i hope it has a life I, this is one of those shows that's so good i think it could have a you know a, a repeated life like being performed regularly at at some venue or more than one venue i certainly certainly hope that happens all right. So that's Christine Petty over at 54 Below, Feinstein's 54 Below. Um, it looks like it from the website, it was just the 13th. There's not a... Right. Yeah. But as I say, she has, she, you know, she's hoping yeah. to. The problem at um, Feinstein's 54 Below, if it can be thought a problem, is that they are booked solid yeah. uh, until like 
January or February and even beyond uh, all the, all of these people, you know, because of course um, there's still restrictions on live performance in, in, on Broadway, et cetera. Uh, but they, they have figured it out. They have reduced capacity. And Oh, by the way, just, uh, just so you know, ahead of time, you must show proof of vaccination to attend. So uh, I think that's great. And that's what, that's one way there that they are, uh, able to continue. And it's, it's just fabulous. So Michael, how do you feel about this 54 below diamond series? Have you heard about this? Oh, that's the one where, with the big stars, right? They're all big stars. Yeah. Like really, really big. Can, please, <laughs> please, <laughs> please tell us about it, Jace. Um, so, uh, as Michael was saying, um, some uh, um, 54 Below is having uh, some special evenings with um, with people who they uh, are bigger stars than uh, than, than, you most. Or, than most than most <laughs> yeah, most you see there. There there's this uh, singer. Her name is uh, Kelly something. Um, she is singing there on yeah something yeah. like that. I've never yeah. heard of her. September twenty eighth through October second. But the thing is, is that it's it's like three hundred dollars a ticket. Mm. Yes. So, so I'm uh, sure they're viewing it as oh oh I'm looking here. There there's nothing available for less than four seventy five now. Wow. So, and they have $4,000 tick. No, I misread that. I'm sorry. No, no, no. But it does start at $475. I misread the $4,000 thing. But, uh, oh, they do have some $300 tickets for if you want to sit at the bar. So, uh, well, compared to Bruce Springsteen, it, yeah, uh, I'm hearing $800 a ticket. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, uh, uh, yeah. You know, absolutely. And, uh, you know, a much, much smaller, more intimate room. Uh, but it was, uh, compared to the Carlisle now. Uh, so would you think that the 54 below can compare to the Carlisle? Well, the great thing about 54 below is that they have all different kinds of people from the biggest stars, uh, some of whom you just mentioned to, uh, you know, the, what would you, the rank and file, the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the young kids just, just starting out. Um, and, and, uh, they also, sometimes they have three shows a night, or at least they used to, there would be a show at yeah. seven, mm-hmm. another show at nine thirty, and then another one at 1130. <laughs> and the yeah. 1130 shows, I think, uh, you can get in for five bucks or something like that. Uh, if you sit at the bar. So, um, that is one of the many great things about Feinstein's 54 below. And it's a prettier room. Oh, it's beautiful. Life. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And better sidelines. Mm-hmm, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So next up, Peter, you headed off to the Southern tip tip of Manhattan to get on a boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this boat bypassed Lady Liberty it did. And, uh, and headed to the the land of freedom on the other side of mm-hmm. uh, called Staten Island. Uh, so, so what boat did you get? Uh, the John Markey. Uh, I felt like Michael. You know, here I was uh, on Staten Island for the first time in a long time. But there was a show there called Eyes of New York, and I was very interested in seeing what that would be like. And it's about an hour long. And for those who miss Cirque du Soleil, uh, that's basically what this is. It's, um, you know, I, I'd say... Um, 
Uh, well, if using baseball terms, you know, there's major league, triple A, double A. This is sort of a double A version of um, Cirque du Soleil because you have a lot of performers who are very expert in doing the type of thing you've seen the Cirque du Soleil do. And uh, that's what it really is. Um, you do get to hear a vocalist sing New York, New York, but um, it's a pleasant experience for those who have missed this type of acrobatic um, skill. And uh, boy, the people really do very, very well by it. So, um, if you take the boat, you get off. It's about a seven minute walk right to the mall. You'll pass a shake shack. So allow yourself time to uh, go in there. Mm. Um, afterwards, you can go to Beso, a very nice restaurant, um, Spanish restaurant. You've oh, been, that place is so great. Oh, good. I'm glad you. <laughs> yes, been. we we went there. That's right near the St. George Theater. And we went there before we saw the Midtown men. Uh, and several of them were eating there as well, because there aren't a whole lot of great restaurants in that area oh no well this is uh, you know it sounds like i got a free meal and i did not but um i i the the portions were enormous um <laughs> and which i appreciated and um so a good time was had by all um we're really glad we went out there to uh, to see this experience and uh, uh again cirque du soleil be apprised because I know they're in trouble and I don't know if they're coming back or not, but I know there was bankruptcy and then MGM sort of took mm. over and I don't know what's going on there, but I guess these may very well be people who uh, have been with Cirque du Soleil. If not, uh, this is a very good audition for them to do this type of thing. Now that, uh, that sounds really great. Um, but also obviously that, that doesn't involve Staten Islanders in the performance. Uh, but if you do want to see something else on Staten Island, uh, a bunch of people I know are doing a production of Waiting for Lefty uh, ah. as part of the Staten Island Shakespearean Theater is presenting it. That The company obviously doesn't only present Shakespeare. This is uh, Clifford Odets. And uh, that that's a really great iconic play that isn't done very often uh anymore but it it it, it really is quite legendary in many respects i was just going to use the word legendary yeah. yeah yeah from 1935 but here you can get to see it actually in the flesh uh if uh, they this was this past weekend excuse me this current weekend was their first and then next weekend is their last so i'm hoping to get there next weekend to see waiting for lefty by the staten island shakespearean theater all right. A good, good recommendation there. Mm. Waiting for Lefty, you don't get to see very often. No. And, uh, no. and that's and also within uh, walking distance of the ferry, a little further. The walk. boat, not the ferry. The <laughs> boat. <laughs> Michael, please. <laughs> yeah, respect. Like <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm going out there for something, you know, and someone's going to meet me, they, they're like, what boat are you going to get? Yep. No. <laughs> yep. It's like what yep. exit on you know in Jersey. <laughs> on the Jersey, yeah, yeah. exactly. Or the Long Island Expressway. Yeah, know. right. Yeah. <laughs> what exit? What exit are you at? <laughs> so, uh Michael, uh, a couple of weeks ago you got a chance to see Marilyn May and uh this uh this uh Sunday morning uh Marilyn spent some time with Mo Rocca on CBS Sunday morning. Uh so tell us about this. Yeah, this morning uh she was on with Mo Rocca uh, because, uh, I mean, it was so great to have Marilyn on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, but she's, she's everywhere now after the, after the pandemic, she's come back very, very strong. Uh, as, as I mentioned, she just not long ago celebrated her 93rd birthday, but she's, mm. she's just really a phenomenon. And, um, Mo Rocca was speaking with her this morning about how difficult, 
the pandemic was uh, obviously uh, for so many people, but uh, she had had so many bookings that were completely canceled. And yet uh, she, you know, she did what she could. She did a concert in her driveway in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if she talked. I don't remember if she talked about that when she was with us. Uh, and um, she did a little concert in literally in her driveway with people sitting on lawn chairs or, or you know, around. Uh, but then she also uh, last summer, she she did manage to do a performance in Provincetown uh, at the Crown and Anchor out outdoors, of course, uh, socially distanced, et cetera, et cetera. They had footage of that. Uh, they had footage of a show she did uh, at the Wick in Florida uh, a, a few months ago. And then, of, uh, of course, she did a, a really amazing virtual show that was filmed at Feinstein's 54 Below. Um, small world, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that that was a great that was a great success. They had footage of all of that, including Mo's interview with Marilyn. And then they also had a little clip. I loved it. They had a little clip of that Lincoln Mercury commercial we discussed, uh. <laughs> where she sings. Uh, it, it's uh, if everyone here. What's the song? Step to the rear. Step to the rear. Yeah, yes. Step to the rear is the title uh, from How Now, Doe Jones. Uh, So I hadn't seen. I I hadn't checked to see if if that's viewable complete on YouTube. But uh, they they showed a little bit of it this morning on on CBS Sunday Morning. Anyway, so that was really great. And um, I I I don't think I mentioned we had. we had talked about it as a preview, but I, I did get to see Marilyn in Hudson, New York, a few weeks ago, and there was an amazing thing that happened. Uh, I saw the first of her two performances, and about two thirds of the way through, uh, the sound went out. Uh, the power, well, actually, the, all the power went out, uh, and they got some of it back uh, immediately with the generator, but. Uh, Marilyn, uh, you know, she walked down from the stage into the audience and performed like the last 15 minutes of the show unplugged. And it was absolutely, absolutely thrilling. Uh, you know, in, in a way, probably the, the first and last time I'll ever get to actually hear her voice unamplified, um, which is amazing. And, and actually, the, the follow up to that is interesting we were talking afterwards and she said, well, you know, I couldn't have done that everywhere, but this place was, uh, and originally built as an opera house. Mm. So the acoustics were really wonderful. Mm -hmm. She said, but I probably couldn't do that at a, you know, a modern venue Mm -hmm. like 54 below. Well, um, (laughs) a a week or so after that, I went to see Scott Siegel's uh, show celebrating the 4th of July on the 4th of July at, 54 below and brian charles rooney was one of the performers and he got up to sing molasses to rum and uh i i'm not sure exactly what happened. i think that the mic wasn't working or he thought or he thought it wasn't working and he's anyway he pushed it aside right as he began the song and sang the entire thing completely unplugged uh with his huge voice and it was absolutely 100 percent uh powerful and audible in 54 below. So I think although that is an example of a venue that probably, well, certainly was not designed uh, for people to sing acoustically and unplugged, it turns out that it it really (laughs) could be used for that if people wanted to. I I mean, it's not 
terribly surprising because the ceilings are very low mm -hmm. and it's not a large venue as James mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. So uh, that was kind of amazing to, to hear him sing unplugged uh, in 54 below. And I hope that some other people take that cue and do it in the future. Hmm. All right. So that is, uh, the Maryland May report for this morning. Yes. <laughs> I was able to find, uh, the CBS Sunday morning, uh, full episode on the CBS website this morning. So if you want to go check out Mo Rocker's, Mo Rocker's, uh, discussion with Maryland, you can click in the show notes to find that as well. Right, so that uh, sort of wraps it up for this morning. Before we get on to trivia and to the musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayVideo.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to an Apple Podcast. There's many ways to listen to us. iHeartRadio plays us. Tune in, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to find our podcast, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter for Michael and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today and let's see so Peter do you have an answer to last week's trivia the question was he received a Tony nomination for appearing in what would become a Tony winning musical but if you buy the current CD of the original cast album you'll only hear him do one song although he sang five in the show who is he what's the show and what's the explanation many people guessed David Carroll whose Love Can't Happen is on the cast album of Grand Hotel as a tribute to the Tony-nominated performer who died before he could return, uh, record his tracks. Yeah, but Grand Hotel didn't win the Tony as Best Musical. Now, Mike Meany said, um, but you said Tony-winning musical and then won for Best Direction and Best Choreography <laughs> and Best Money. Yeah, I'm not one of those people who believe that if you win for Best Lighting, you're a Tony-winning musical. I mean, I know <laughs> the shows are advertised that way now to make them sound like they win Best Musical, but I meant Best Musical. What did win Best Musical was Company. You may recall that Dean Jones recorded the cast album, but then wasn't interested in all he'll derive out of being alive or the other songs. So he bolted and Kurt took over and the Tonys preferred to recognize the replacement uh, rather than the quitter. So when the musical moved to London, Larry Kurt's voice was superimposed over Jones to make the London cast album. Being Alive is now included as a bonus track on the CD. Uh, Tony Janicki nosed out Paul Whitty for first place by a few minutes. They were followed by J. Aubrey Jones, G.J. Milano, Brigadude, Fred Abramowitz, Kathy Jones, Mike Meany, who did get it, and Steve Bell. This week's question, Pippin and Applause, two musicals from the 70s, almost, almost, had something in common with two Tony-nominated Best Musical losers from the late 60s. What's the commonality? What's the, uh, what's the qualification for being a Tony Award loser? Does, does it have to lose in the lighting category? No, you have to lose Best Musical. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you have to and be nominated. They have to be nominated, then lose. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. I just want to make sure. Yeah, Thank no, you, that's, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> All right. Uh, Michael, so what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, Peter just mentioned Pippin, and uh, that was the last Broadway appearance of Lucy Arnaz who uh, celebrated her birthday yesterday. So I thought we would uh, 
honor her in today's musical moment. She has been on Broadway four times. Uh, she created the role of Sonia Walskin. They're playing our song in 1979. And then she replaced in uh, three shows, Lost in Yonkers, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and Pippin, the revival of Pippin. Uh, I only saw... Uh, I was only lucky enough to see her in the first of those, but it was a really, really enjoyable show that I think, um, uh, I think maybe it doesn't have a, such a such a great reputation uh, among a lot of people. It, it was certainly a light entertainment, but thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable with really wonderful songs. I agree entirely, and a, and a very funny script. Uh, I agree by Neil Simon. Uh, I, I, yes, I, I know we've discussed that before and I'm, I'm glad to hear that Peter. Um, uh, so I, uh, and it, it did make for a, a really wonderful cast album on, I mm-hmm. think Casablanca records, right. <laughs> uh, a cast album that is, uh, almost sounds more like a pop album than a cast album, but that's completely appropriate, uh, to the subject matter, which is about the, the, uh, sort of rocky relationship, between a uh, a composer and a lyricist <laughs> uh, as they try to work together. They meet and try to work together and they fall in love, but it doesn't really have legs as they, as they say. Uh, anyway, I, I love the show. I love the score. And uh, uh, here is, uh, as our musical moment, Lucy Arnaz singing the female version of the title song. Okay, so on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. is weaving its spell around this room. Nobody's dancing. They're all too entranced. Just listening to the perfect way my words fit that tune. Right now they're listening to me. My lyric reads like a poem. It surely stands on its own. It makes me proud to hear that you. of me to be more specific this place is terrific as long as they're playing my song who would have known that two years ago when Leon asked can't love and be fun who would have known can't love and be fun would be sung by everybody under the sun you know it made the top ten all good things come to an end I wish they'd play it again and again let it keep on They're playing your song I wish they played again